Hello and welcome to a special edition of the last Wednesday of the week. We have dropped our Segway King Dan for one episode only so we can talk solely about the Euro 2020 Championships. Myself, Ben, and Simon will talk all things Euros, including Gareth's selection, our tournament favourites, and which games we cannot wait to see. Welcome on this, the hottest day of the year so far, to the last Wednesday of the week. Huzzah! Simon. Hello, how are you? We've dropped Dan. How does it feel? Do you feel less pressured? I feel free. I feel free. I I would say this is like the kids, uh, you know, when the parents are away. But first of all, he's not really old enough to be a parent of ours. And also, kind of more of a kind of a creepy uncle or something along those sorts of reads. You know, one of those kind of creepy uncles that takes you to buy fireworks from some back alley or something. Just a, a strange fellow. So, no, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. Um, and uh, it'll be good to see someone smiling back at me and not just someone when football's mentioned who kind of goes into some sort of uh, slight coma. So it'd be interesting. (laughs) I think it's important to tell our audience that when we talk about football, Dan mutes his computer and just goes off on his merry tangent, writing whatever he does, scribbling away. Uh, So it's going to be lovely to get some good engagement and conversation around the beautiful game. Let's be honest. This is the beautiful game. Have you been been outside today, Si? Beautiful weather? I, I have. Actually, I probably made the mistake of going out for too long. Um, I then made a further mistake by having an ice cream with my son this morning and then having more ice cream to uh, for later for dinner. So I am probably going to um, vomit all over my computer, possibly because of the uh, England squad selection, but possibly due to an upset tummy. So we'll find out how it goes. But no, I've <laughs> enjoyed the weather. Uh, luckily, it's cooled down now because I'm in my conservatory and it would be extremely warm in a normal situation like it was when we recorded the uh, NFL draft. That was a warm old day as well. So what about yourself, mate? Have you been there? Do you know what? Absolutely been outside. I cannot wait. If if this weather continues, we're going to get that uh, street scene where you've got, uh, you know, lobster red humans walking down the road with a crate of fosters or carling on their on their shoulder. You know they're about to get to the kickoff of the England game. England flags going down, car horns beeping. I love, love international football tournaments. I hate the qualifying process, but I bloody love the events. And this is uh, absolutely going to be a fantastic one. So we've got a whole episode to uh, to ourselves to explain and discuss. Uh, What is it, Simon? Give our listeners, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, I'd like to temper your expectations and your your kind of thought processes with um, the happiness and jovialness of this tournament before uh, we lose to North Macedonia in the quarterfinals. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm already a very jaded England fan. So this tournament, this is Euro 2020. Um, no, you haven't gone back in time. This is uh, what they're calling it still. They're gamefully clinging on to the branding. I'm guessing they had thousands and millions of different things with all this uh you know concept art with euro 2020 on so no you've not gone back in a time machine or something or anything like that this is 2021 but it's euro 2020 it is a tournament of europe's best and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing it how many groups is it ben it's six groups so yeah we've got uh six groups a to f 
um, a couple of very difficult groups, which we'll get into. There's a group of death. Group F is a group of death. Uh, you're absolutely right. It is highly anticipated uh, that Euro 2020, that's what people need to call it. There is an official mascot I found out, uh, Sai. I don't know if you've seen this. He's called Skillsy. Skillsy <laughs> with a Z-Y. And this is his description. A larger-than-life character inspired by freestyling, street, and panna culture. Uh, I actually have seen Skillsy. Um, he is because I've actually, well, in attempt to get my two-year-old son into football, I've decided to uh, invest in a um, Euro twenty twenty sticker book. So Skillsy wow. and I are best friends now. So I know Ben's punching the air, just enjoy at the fact that we have this, um, you know, the stickers back in. I'm going to try and trade. Um, Dan's son is also collecting, so there's going to be a very awkward trading system between a three-year-old and a two-year-old. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it could go down the tubes, but no, um, I'm very familiar with Tubesy, uh, with Skillsy, um, and, uh, but I didn't really know he was the mascot. I thought he was just kind of there, but that's cool. Yeah, he's going to be before most games, I don't suppose every game, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, Skillsy is going to be there or thereabouts. It, am I too old to do a colouring uh, coloring book, probably? A sticker book? Um, mate, you're never too old. Um, in fact, I'm okay. just I'm just using this. It's just, This is basically, for anyone who has kids <laughs> knows this, this is basically where, uh, uh, you know, an older man like myself... Um, lives vicariously through his children and now will um, basically <laughs> collect sticker books. I will watch all of the old cartoons that we used to watch back in the day. I'm now into SpongeBob. Zach, my son, is far too young to be watching SpongeBob, but I'm waking and watch it. So, you know, I'm living vicariously through my children. I say children, only have I like one child. It. <laughs> I like it. It's, uh, it's important. I think the sticker book adds to that kind of um a fascination with with the football tournaments i was a huge huge fan euro 96 was arguably the first real big tournament that i watched and i was like what is this how good is this all these european teams get together with the best european players and they play in the shootouts there's drama and and now you add you know a bit of drinking in the back garden to that and you've got basically a tremendous couple of weeks uh coming up on friday june 11th side Right. So um, I said to you, I warned you before the start of this one that I had a big question for you. Um, <laughs> you were worried that I was going to catch you out with something like asking you, like with the middle name of some Polish uh, midfielder. No, this is a very simple question. And I want everyone listening out there to also answer this. Is this for you? I mean, A, is it a big deal? And B, is it as big as the World Cup? Yes, and yes and no. I'm not going to sit on the fence, but I'm going to answer that in two parts. Yes, it's as big as the World Cup because we've been waiting so long. It feels like it's uh, so many more years in the making. And because there's going to be some fans in the stadiums, I know you know Wembley and the stadiums we'll, we'll go into it a bit won't necessarily be full, but there's actually going to be fans watching live sport. And that's adding something to it, you know. Yes, the World Cups are incredible. And listen, an international tournament with, you know, in the day, the Ronaldinho's, the Rivaldo's of the world, you know, Brazil, it, it did add something to Brazil's, the Argentina's. But, I mean, Europe, the best five leagues in the world are in Europe. Uh, predominantly, the best players in the world are European. 
I know there's, I'm sure Messi would shout at me and a few Brazilians, uh, but these are packed squads, incredible squad professionals the whole way through. Um, and yeah, it is right up there. I don't think I've been as excited for a tournament as, as I am for this for a very long time. So I have to agree. I mean, for me, I think this is just as good as the World Cup because as a European, um, uh, awkward to say after Brexit, I know. Um, as a European, <laughs> I um, oh, sorry, Dan's not here, so someone has to mention it. Um, so, I mean, I'm very excited because yes, apart from you know, you mentioned Brazil, Argentina. Apart from that, really, is there anyone else who adds anything to the World Cup regularly? I know you get the odd random team that kind of, you know, has a bit of a surge. You might get some African team that captures everyone's hearts and makes it to the the quarterfinals or something like that. But realistically, the as you said, the best teams are in Europe. Most of the best players are in Europe. Um, and for me, this is just more good teams. I know the tournament's increased in size, but at the same point, you've got a situation where we don't have like the best team in Central America or the best team in, um, you know, I'm not doing to bang on to a bit of Caribbean teams and stuff like that. Yes, obviously, it's great to have a World Cup and to have this all-encompassing, um, you know, tournament. But actually, really, you know, you're going to get more of a challenge playing a, a European team, you know, on average than you would playing these other teams around the world. Absolutely. And uh, on the back of that, or echoing that, <laughs> it's, this is going to be a close tournament. Mm. I know we're going to talk about who um, our favourites might be and uh, no guesses for who mine is, uh, playing you know three lines on his ship before we started the podcast. Uh, let's just have a quick look through the groups before we go into what the big news today is, of course, and that's surrounding the England squad reaction. Gareth Southgate delivered his... Uh, whittled down 26-man squad and um, we're going to dive into that, dive into the omitted players. Well, first, just run through a couple of the groups for you. Uh, England, we're in Group D, Simon. So we've got England, Croatia, Scotland and Czech Republic. Uh, my group of death for this is Group F, Hungary, Portugal, France and Germany. <laughs> I mean, is that stacked or what? Uh, and we've got the first game, which is Group A, and that is Turkey versus Italy at 8pm on, on uh, Friday week. And that's at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, I don't think we'll get an upset there. Uh, England's first game is going to be versus Croatia at Wembley Stadium. So we play all our home games. Uh, at, we play all our games at home. I understand we're one of the home nations. Is that right? Yes, in essence, I, I think that's correct. It's it's not something, I mean, something obviously doing a sports podcast I should probably be more au okay with, but it is something from what I'm aware. There are various teams which are, you know, bunny ears, the home nations will play all or if not all, most of their games at home. I think it's something like six out of the eight games they could possibly play would be at Wembley Stadium or something along those lines. So, um, yes, they're, they're a team that will have incredible luck to have not just a home, you know, uh, travel to a uh, local area, but also, you know, home fans, um, and, you know, and obviously with, with coronavirus, there's not going to be many away fans there, if any. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be an amazing partisan atmosphere when you get there and you just hear this England crowd just on you. The problem with it, us is, is as a nation, 
we can also get on players' backs far too quickly, both on social media and in media and all that stuff, but also on game day. And if we go into game one at Croatia and it's 1-0 Croatia or 0-0 or whatever, you know, the silence can be deafening or the boos can be deafening, depending on how we play. Yeah, and a few of these players uh, have not played at uh, Wembley before in front of, uh, you know, big crowds. Uh, we've got a very young squad, and this segues wonderfully into the selection. Yes, I use the word segue because Daniel's not here, and we have to pay homage. Uh, listen, England squad reaction was out today. Uh, Southgate delivered it. Uh, we're going to quickly talk about the players omitted. I know you've got a couple of views on that, but uh, overall... Is is this a positive? Were you happy with the squad? Was anything stand out, Simon? Anything that you're raging about? Uh, fire at me. So, yeah, there was a few things. I mean, I, I wanted to take you, because um, we were trying to do a podcast last week with the original 33-man squads. Um, but the problem is, I suppose, for us, is that we always cover so many sports, you can't really focus on something unless it becomes what we constitute usually as our meaty middle. Um, but this is it's a Euro show, so we can take as long as we like talking about this sort yes, of thing. Yes, we can, sir. We can do whatever hell we like. So, um, what I would like to start with is, um, we didn't talk about all the players. So, obviously, I, I bang on all about Esri Concert. So, I'm going to ignore uh, talking about Esri Concert because I love that guy and I think he is one of England's best centre-backs. But I'll ignore him. But um, what do we think about Eric Dyer not playing? Yeah, not Eric Dyer. 33. Eric Dyer has not been good enough this year. And funnily enough, in the early Southgate era, Eric Dyer was near and ever-present. He was liked by Gareth Southgate. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why he was completely omitted from the 33, but on form, I don't think he makes it. The worry is, though, Maguire. Maguire might not be fit mm. for this tournament. There is talk that he will not be able to play. Certainly the group games, maybe he'll be back for a, a knockout. So who do we play? Conser's not gone. I don't think anyone knows why Conser's not in the squad. I don't understand it. I think he should be. Um, it's looking like it could well be, Simon. If, tell me if I'm wrong, but it could be Stones and Cody. Um, so that's your problem. Um, a lot of talk about um, if you're going to play Connor Cody, he, he plays best in a three. He plays in a three all the time at uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. And to be honest, Connor Cody not even had a great year. So, I mean, that's something else to be debated. But also, um, you know, every time he's played for England, they've played in a three as well. So this guy is an expert in a three-man centre-back, you know, partnership. So if you're going to play Cody, you're going to have to possibly play three at the back. So that could alter what formation we play so instead of a four three three are we going to be playing you know three five two um yeah i mean maguire is a worry i think this is one of the things i'm going to kind of go into in a bit more detail is that we've taken a gamble on a lot of players um we had a bit of a hilarious text argument about the qualities of jordan henderson uh at the end just after the podcast <laughs> the other day um but, uh, you know, there is no argument to suggest it is a worry that he hasn't played a first-team game since February. I mean, no yep. matter what you think of the player, I mean, he's an amazing leader and everything like that. But, you know, he, uh, my brother-in-law, who I actually spoke to today, he's also a uh, Liverpool fan. He said, oh, yeah, well, he's fit, you know. 
well, he's fit in terms of he's over his injury and he's fit and probably in terms of he's been training up and he's probably, if this is football manager, 100% fitness, but match fitness is a whole nother ball game. So I would be surprised if Maguire and or Henderson, no, either or um, uh, Henderson will be playing for first game. I think neither of them are playing. So yes, this creates a massive issue and a massive hole in, in our team, really. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's a big worry. And I know we might talk a bit about what our, who we think our starting partnership is in each position, but I think um, this kind of leads nicely into my other kind of point about this. I think this team is bizarrely balanced. I think we've got four right backs. Now TalkSport have covered this in, you know, a lot over the last um, few hours. So I'm kind of piggybacking off that and basically stealing their point. But it is a very cogent point because we have five centre midfielders, uh, one who's 17, one who hasn't played football in um, since February, and we have four right backs. Does okay. that not worry you? <laughs> it does worry me. And I, I think Southgate tried to answer it today. He said, listen, Rhys James has played in the uh, in that role for Chelsea in midfield, he thinks that Trent Alexander can push forward and play into that role. Um, and uh, I'll go back before I'm going to answer this question in two parts. So with Walker, uh, sorry, with the three at, at the back, Cody, that means possibly we'll see Walker drop into mm. that centre back. So it'd be Stones, Cody, Walker. We've seen this before. Then it'll be the right back of whoever. We, we'll get into that discussion. Uh, left back, sure, nailed on. Best left back in in in, uh, in the UK, in England, sorry, by a mile. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of the central mid, do you think he's putting trust in Bellingham? Listen, if, if Henderson is fit, he plays. He is so professional. He is he's, he's a consummate professional. He's absolutely incredible leader. He plays in the right of that three alongside Declan Rice if he's fit. So perhaps he does miss that first game. But look at Bellingham. How good was he in the semi-finals against Manchester City? The semi-finals of the Champions League that was. Can, Bell- can Bellingham be trusted even at 17? I think he is, I mean, I know this is a very big cliche and I mean, I have to be honest, and this is what I love about the European, like the Euros, is that I get to see these guys play. Um, I, you know, I'm a Villa fan through and through. I watch American sports and I watch, you know, this and that. I don't get have time to, to watch European football very regularly. If, if I do, it, it's because I'm, you know, maybe I have a free half an hour here or there. But it's very rare that I actually get a chance to do this. So realistically, you know, my uh, experience with Jude Bellingham really is is limited. Um, apart from I think he played a friendly quite recently for England, and a few other games and snippets. Uh, from what I've heard, he's wise, in, you know, and he's experienced and professional beyond his years. Um, obviously, physically, he's very, you know, evolved for his for his uh, for his age, um, which obviously is going to help him in this big tournament. Um, I think he can, but I think if you're going to play someone with that limited experience, then you need to have someone, yeah, like a Jordan Henderson or someone with a lot of experience to talk him through it. Because otherwise, I think it's unfair on, on a 17, 18 year old to be thrust into the limelight. It's such an, you know, and such an integral position in centre midfield. It's not like a forward where, you know, you, you know, your role to a certain extent, you're playing off the final man or, you, you, you know, whatever. Um such as we had with Wayne Rooney and, and Michael Owen, where they were probably more, you know, advanced, 
uh, and you, know, you could kind of deal with the pressures a little bit more. I think center mid is a whole other ball game, and you could end up with a situation where he could get found out very easily. So, um, yes, I think he can cope, but I think he needs someone around him who's going to be that steadying influence. Yeah, as you said, maybe Jordan Henderson is, is the right man, but once again, having a 17-year-old and a guy who hasn't played a first-team football game since February is a big worry for me. Yeah, and not only that, if it is Bellingham starting, he could be coming up against the 2017 Ballon d'Or winner, um, Modric, in the first game. So, I mean, what a task that would be for him. We will, before we, we crack on into the into the squad, let's talk about who didn't make it. It was a 33-man squad last week. Obviously, the regulations are 26. Usually 23, I understand, but mm. extra three for COVID protocols or to give people a a better chance whatever uh so 26 so we've lost uh seven uh one went injured greenwood mm. now uh, green we know greenwood was injured we also know that rashford has been injured he's another player where we were expecting rashford might have been pulled out again today he was not fit for the europa league final and played played an awful game greenwood's gone so he's back at carrington now for training uh for sorry for treatment rather so I mean, the other, I'll, I'll say them now, the other omitted players, so Ben White's gone, Ben Godfrey, Aaron Ramsdale in net's gone, uh, James Ward-Prowse, Ollie Watkins and Jesse Lingard are not making the cut. Let's go to that first one. Ollie Watkins, why is he not going? So um, I don't want to seem like an Aston Villa, like banging the drum for Aston Villa every opportunity. I think Oli Watkins is a fantastic footballer. And I think next year he's going to come on even better. I think we could do with a player with his skill set. And that's the other thing about this team being imbalanced. We have two centre forwards. And um, obviously, technically, a lot of people count Rashford as well. But for England, he does tend to play on one of the kind of wing positions in the formation. So he's not within this team necessarily seen as a centre forward. But yeah, we only have Kane um, and we have Calvert-Lewin. So that's another big issue. And to have a guy like Watkins who can play on the wing, can play up front, um, you know, it would have been integral. Uh, I mean, even your mate Patrick Bamford would have been welcome in this situation. <laughs> um, people know my opinion on a Patrick Bamford if you listen to last week's podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a big worry. Um, I have to say, I didn't think um, Sterling and Rashford would necessarily be um, dumped from the squad, but both guys have not been in good form. And so I think if either of them are starting come the first, you know, first game of our of, uh, you know, of the tournament, I'd be really worried for us in that regard. It's another big worry because Sterling is horrendously out of form. Um, and you said uh, uh, Rashford has had a an indifferent second half to the season and he's picked up an injury. Um, this is a worry. There is no question that Rashford is not fully fit. Everyone can see it. They saw his game. Solskjaer said it. He isn't fully fit. So whether he misses the first game and comes in, I don't know. In terms of Sterling, this has been the worst career of his uh, worst season of his career. You know, won the Premier League, Champions League final, won the Carling Cup. Not terrible, but he has not been that good. And he's also been in and out of the squad. And quite frankly, he's nowhere near as good as Foden right now. Mm, so perhaps Foden takes that position. Talk of form, Jesse Lingard, 16 games, nine goals since January. He's arguably been the best player in the Premier League mm. since January, since he, since he signed for, for West Ham uh, on loan. Does he deserve to go? 
Um, so Jesse Lingard is is a is a very polarizing guy. Um, not just um, you know, off the field, you know, doing songs about beans or whatever the hell he was doing last year. Um, you know, uh, indifferent performances for Man United for a good couple of years really hit the ground running and I think I said this last week but really really deserved that call up um you know to the 33 man squad um as I said I don't think there was a you know a guy more in form in the latter half of the season um I think he's unlucky to miss out but who do you replace him with this do would you not take Saka is that who you'd miss out on and, and that is the player, that is the switch. And I think Saka has been standout this season for Arsenal, who um, uh, have, have given have given good chances to good young players over the last couple of years under Arteta. And uh, yeah, I really like Saka. The last one of the three, uh, the main omissions there, is James Ward-Prowse. Now, we spoke only a moment ago about how, how light we are in midfield and we've got all these right-backs. Mm-hmm. Is Ward-Prowse not the perfect man to take? He can control a football match. He can hold on to the ball, make wonderful passes. Um, brilliant for Southampton, even though they finished a lowly 17th, I think, in the league this season. Ward Prowse, did he not offer that? Why, why do you think he's he's been dropped from the squad? I think um, he's unlucky. I mean, he's former captain of the England under-21s. He's a very good player. I don't think he's necessarily best with the best pace or anything like that, but a set-piece specialist, um, which... Uh, you know, I think every team needs. I think if you need a guy who, if we're trailing and you've got 15 minutes left, you know, can bring on and he can, you know, if we win any free kicks. And let's be honest, if Jack Grealish is playing, we'll win free kicks. Don't you worry about that. Um, you know, and there's no perfect, uh, more perfect guy than than him. I mean, I'm really struggling to think who necessarily is going to take a lot of our free kicks. Um, we're having Harry Kane taking corners again, like we did that one time, which was awful. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I would have thought when the squad was originally announced, I was like, yeah, he's definitely one of the ones I wouldn't take. And actually seeing this massive chasm in our centre midfield, I think, yeah, I probably would have taken him. I'd have to really have a think about who I wouldn't take. I think Saka, I mean, he's unlucky if he didn't go, but he's played a lot of games this this year for Arsenal. So, I mean, yeah, I think... I think we're unlucky not to take Lord Prowse. And I worry, I really do worry. And it sounds awful. It sounds very negative. But I am really bullish about our, our opportunity in this, in this competition. But I am really worried about the, the few big vacancies in our in our team, you know, with big, big holes, you know, in, in a lot of positions. Yeah, the, the three players we talk about there, Ward Prowse, Ollie Watkins and Jesse Lingard, are staying with the squad. Uh, there's talk that Lingard and Watkins are going to start tomorrow's friendly um, which is uh, Austria. Yeah, Austria yeah. tomorrow night, then Romania on Sunday. So they're the two uh, friendlies before. Apparently, they're going to stay with the squad, which I quite like. Apparently, mm-hmm. they were incredibly professional, especially Lingard. I think he thought he was in with a chance. Um, maybe. I have, um, is Saka going to play? I don't think he's even going to play, Sam. I don't think he. I think that was something I listened to again once again on Talksport. Really giving them a lot of free coverage this week. Talksport um, sponsors. Talksport new sponsors for our podcast. Um, no, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, is he going to play? I mean, he could be emergency left back, but he's not going to play beyond uh, above Shaw and Chilwell. And to go back to what you said earlier, I actually think that's more of a close battle than you'd think. I I think Chilwell could start first game against Croatia, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 
yeah, but Saka's not going to play above any of the wingers that we have, um, you know, so it kind of makes him the odd man out. And I know he's only young and this, this experience will do him the world of good to be with the England squad. But yeah, would we rather have someone who necessarily is in a position of more need? I think probably would. Yeah, for, for me, Shaw starts. I think for the whole season, Shaw's been a uh, standout left back, better than Robbo, uh, in fact. I think only Creswell maybe up there with him. Yeah. Uh, Chilwell's had a kind of okay season in, in my eyes, but he was great in the uh, Champions League final. Um, and talking about players who are good in the Champions League final or excellent, uh, James. Now, let's talk about right-backs. Simon, in fact, do you want to talk about right-backs? Because I don't want to talk about right-backs. I mean, everyone's talking about right-backs. We've got a thousand of them. I think Reese James really came out with a lot of plaudits from that from that game. The only thing I would say is that a kind of a tempering to that is he was playing against Sterling, who was not great. Awful. So, um, and has been in, as we've talked about before, in poor form for a quite a few games. I think the last 15, 20 games, he's been in bad form. So, um, and in fact, you know, he's been dropped by Man City and Foden has taken his place, which really shows you the pecking order at City now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Reese James has been been really good though this season. I, I'm no, I was never a massive fan, but he's kind of starting to win me over. But I think, yeah, do we have a situation where we have too many right backs? I think so. Um, is he the lucky man? I probably might have been more likely not to take Trippier, but Southgate obviously has a love for Trippier and Trippier, you know, is someone he could rely on. He, you know, nearly got us through to the, the cup final um, three years ago. So um, all in all, uh, he's you know, part of the reason he's there. So I think maybe Southgate's taken the easy approach, you know, the easy way out. And, and maybe just instead of dropping one of them, it's just taken all of them. But I, I really, I think when we talked, you talked earlier about, oh, well, such and such can probably play in midfield and such and such can play here. and so, But like, if that's the case and you play, you know, uh, Reese James in midfield, why not take Ward Prowse? He's a better midfielder than Reese James. So, um, you know, we don't need that level of adaptability to have four right backs. So, yeah, I mean, I'll let everyone at home decide who you think should be the one to make and who should be brought back into the team. But, you know, we have massive holes at midfielder and striker. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, the the right back obviously is something that they, the Southgate himself laughs about. He laughed about it today. He said he would have take, taken six if he could. I think it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. He was uh, not being entirely serious. But the headline, uh, the headline around the England squad announcement today was Trent Alexander-Arnold kept in the squad or named in the squad. Now, that was that was going to be a headline either way, whether he was uh, dropped or kept, because that's been an, a going ongoing thing. Trent Alexander-Arnold was exceptional in the last 10 games for Liverpool. In the last couple of years, he's broken defending assist records. He's been outstanding. He has uh, come up with incredible things in semi-finals and Champions League finals. He, for me, has to start the football match because he can change a game. And talk about free kicks. He's the best one. Surely he's starting the game. I think... We talked about this last last few weeks, actually. And we're going to um, talk about it again next week. Yeah, we talk about it forever. <laughs> um, no, so he is. I mean, I think he's an amazing talent. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, having a go at him at all or anything like that. I do worry about him defensively on occasions. I think if you're playing a you know three five two, 
then he would be perfect for that right wing back spot. You're playing a straight four four two, then I really or four three three or whatever. I really worry about having someone like him in there. You then because then you have to think about who you've got in centre midfield, and you probably have to play a more defensive centre midfield too um, to cover for him because he does foray forwards. Um, he suits the way Liverpool plays. Does he suit the way Southgate plays? I think that's that's the big question. And I think the answer is probably not necessarily. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if Southgate completely loves Trent the way that maybe Liverpool fans do and other you know teams and uh, fans in the league and, and they've seen what he's done in the league over the last um, few years. You know, going forward into that midfield again, uh, we're assuming, or I'm assuming, that Declan Rice is a nailed-on starter, as nailed-on as Harry Kane for me. Um, What do we then put around him? (laughs) Tell me who goes around him. Do you put Grealish with him? Do you put Foden into the middle? Do you bring Calvin Phillips in to have it defensive? You know, do you you, uh, put Trent or James in there, go a bit left wing? What what do we do in that midfield? Who is it? it say it's five three two. I think sorry three five two. I think that's a fairly obvious start first game. Who's who's in that midfield side? I think maybe, and then I'm worried about this if they do because I saw this against Denmark and it was horrible. But they played Rice and Phillips in there together, yeah. um, and it was I don't like that. until Grealish came on. England looked horrible. And I'm not banging on about Grealish. I know he's basically my best friend. I've never even met the guy, but he's my best friend. Um, <laughs> but at the same point, um, yeah, I think maybe that's our only option. I, I mean, we play Bellingham, as I said. We've just talked about him being, you know, young and relatively inexperienced. Do we do we think about starting him in, in a first game of a year of the Euros? That seems a bit much. And Henderson. I think unless he proves his fitness in the next two games against Austria and Romania, you can't start him. I mean, I heard there was talk that they were going to nurse him through the first few games and maybe, you know, not play him if they could avoid it. Um, And the same, obviously, as we talked about with Maguire. So we've got a situation where we're carrying a lot of passengers here. Um, Yeah, those uh, passengers are our spine. Side. Yeah. They're the big, big, you know, you, you look at uh, from, from the back, Maguire, Hendo, Rashford, <laughs> spine, that's the, you know, I know Rashford's not so old now, but still incredibly experienced, big part of the England setup. Uh, Mount, is he not starting? So I've never been the biggest Mount fan, um, have to be honest. I, I think he's a little bit overrated. Um, I think he's a good player. Even uh, after but... the Champs League final performance? Well, you're talking about that pass, and let's be honest, if John Stones is going to be that far off his man, then I think I could have made that pass. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, I think at the moment, I don't know who else you play. I think you have to play him as the forward, you know, furthest forward um, attacking kind of sentiment, unless you play Foden there, and then that creates a situation where you've got to have two wingers, Foden and Harry Kane, which is going to be very top-heavy and probably not the best balance. So I'm a little... I'm very intrigued to see what they do and how they go about things. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head there with balance. <clears throat> Pardon me. The, the, when every good squad needs that holding midfielder. Okay, so ours is Declan Rice, you know, looking at some of the big teams we're going to be coming up against, you know. Uh, Kante would be a good one there for France. They have a spine. There's a big spine that goes through the squad. Uh, 
uh, let's go at the very back of the spine because we, we, we flew past it. Um, and I don't really want to talk about it because I don't like either of our options. Uh, Pickford, for obvious reasons, I don't want to see him play for England. I don't want to see him play for Everton after what he did to Van Dyke <laughs> earlier this season. Uh, and Henderson, you said last week, and you were absolutely spot on, he's barely played. He's played 20-odd games. He's made mistakes. United shit goals. Who's who's number one? I know Pickford got the number one jersey. Henderson got the 13, but I think Henderson plays 13 for club. So that didn't give me any indication. I mean, it's a, it's a worrying situation. I think... That was the one area that, and I think all the other holes we've got in this team are more squad management or squad selection. I think with keeper, it's a situation where we are just really, really limited. With when you know, I mean, you look at any other team around, you know, the big teams in Europe, um, uh, country-wise, they can afford to lose one player and slot in another player who isn't quite as good, but is still, you know, decent or good. I think with us keepers wise, we are really struggling. I mean, once Pope went down and we were both gutted that Pope went down because he was our first choice. Um, You know, we really had no one else to deal with. I mean, yeah, Henderson's played 20 odd games and I'm not a big fan of picking a guy who's barely played this season or hasn't played that often this season. And to be honest, after De Gea's performances over the last couple of years, if you don't beat out De Gea to the number one spot, are you doing a good job? I mean, that sounds like an awfully inflammatory thing to say. But, I mean, you know, De Gea's not been great this year. And the fact there's talk of him not even being the number one for Spain this year uh, in the tournament. So... Should Henderson not be beating him, you know, hands down? In which case, you know, this is a worry. Uh, and yeah, Johnson is a good keeper. He was with Villa a few years ago on loan. He's a he's a decent keeper. Just got relegated. Not really his fault. But, you know, when we're having to start going to relegated teams for our England goalkeepers, it's a, start, a worrying situation. Yeah, and that, that's the sort of tricky issue. I think the best two goalkeepers in the world are both Brazilian, you know, um, so that's a bit unfortunate. We don't really have, I think, a world. We, we certainly don't have a world-class goalkeeper. No one can say that. But I think Southgate likes Pickford. I think he's going to go with Pickford. Um, I think that's probably going to be the choice, um, which I think will be entertaining because he'll pull off a worldy top corner save. Then he'll fumble one through his hands for a one-all, 88th minute. I can see it happening now. Mm. <laughs> uh, we we've talked uh, defense. We've talked uh, kind of the worry about losing, you know, our our, our captain Maguire and Henderson captains. Let's go forward. Let's fly straight forward to the best end of the pitch, the most exciting end. And I think, as a young fan, uh, so if I were a young fan, maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> looking at this squad. You're licking your lips thinking, wow, we've got Harry Kane, Premier League Golden Boot. We've got Jaden Sancho, one of the hottest properties in world football. We've got Foden, arguably the best young footballer in the world. We have got talent just bursting out. Can can we find a system? Can we can we make it work? Is Southgate gonna let them play and give them freedom? Or are we going to start Sterling, Rashford, out of form players, out of position? Well, this is kind of what I talked about the other week. I think it was last week, actually, is that Southgate came in with this, you know, fancy waistcoat, 
I'm, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not going to pick What's guys. What's wrong with the waistcoat? Are, uh, no, it just is part of my little, uh, little. Uh, okay, monologue. sorry, go on. Um, so, you know, my fancy waistcoat kind of, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to pick guys who are out of form. Gone are the days of picking guys that like uh, aren't playing, playing well and who, you know, they're my favorites. I'm not going to have any favorites and all this blah, blah, blah. And then here we are. Oh, Trippy has made the team. Oh, um, they're going to play Sterling. Oh, we're going to play Rashford, despite the fact he's injured and, you know, he's not playing very well. And that's my worry. I think all managers promise these things and they come in and do the same thing. Um, I think Sancho, you've got Grealish, who, I mean, if Grealish doesn't start, he'd better be your first guy off the bench because he, there is, I mean, and this sounds, once again, Villa fan, gonna not going to deny it. But there's very few guys. When Grealish is playing, you know, at top of his game, there's very few guys who are better. If you watch any game that he's played in for England, there's two or three guys going towards him every time he gets the ball because they yeah. know how dangerous he is. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're in a situation where I'm worried about how, what we'll do, but hopeful that he will see the light and we will go and have some of these more, ex- you know, expansive attacking options. Yeah, Grealish is a real tricky one, and I'm I'm kind of a bit on the fence. If Grealish plays, you get free kicks. The guy gets an inordinate amount of free kicks a game. He can twinkle toes around. He can make things happen. It can be a through ball, long ball. He can play between the lines. He's an absolutely outstanding football player. Great to watch. And I think he could be the showman of the whole Euro 2020 for England. Like, I really do think we can pin hopes on someone like Grealish. You know, he's a captain for his club. Um, and I I think he's wasted on the bench, OK? I, I, I may be a, a bit more aggressive in the way I would play. I'd put Declan Rice in there and I'd put Bellingham alongside. I'd put Grealish alongside as well. Mm. Um, so I'd go aggressive, young, attacking, fluent, fantastic football but I don't think Gareth will start him. I think I think Grealish starts on the bench, and I think you're absolutely spot on. I think he's the first person to bring on, especially if it's nil nil, you know, after the hour mark. Um, I just think I think Mount starts. I think I think managers and, and fans are in love with Mount at the moment. He has had a good season. It's probably it been outstanding, maybe at times. I don't really think so. Chelsea were pretty awful under Lampard and. Yeah, they've been good on Tuchel, but they've still lost games. I mean, they lost the last game of the season against Villa without Grealish. Hmm. And um, Mount was awful in that game, I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I think Mount is a good player. My one thing about him, and I, if someone, you know, we talked about this the other week, we need to start, you know, talking with the community, you know, that we're hoping to grow here and, and you know, and, and have these conversations. But what does Mount, he does stuff well. What is his most outstanding? What is he amazing at? I think he's a good passer. He can score goals. He takes a lot of shots. Um, some of them not less accurate than others. But what does what's his amazing thing? Oh, I'm going to bring Mason Mount on because he can do this. And that's the one thing I think that kind of makes me think that he's a little bit overrated. Yeah, I I I don't I can't even answer that. And I've seen Mason Mount play a lot of games this year, and I'm sure we're going to have some Chelsea fan listeners saying, "Listen, he does this. He shoots from the outside of the box. He's got a great pass on him. Good awareness. Holds the ball. Doesn't lose the ball, which is always a good thing at European, uh, sorry, international level." But 
would I start him? No. Do I think he's going to start? Yes. And this is the, this is the thing with, with Southgate. This is the thing with England squads. I, I just I can see it now. I can see Sterling in that lineup, and I don't want to bag on about Sterling because listen, he was fantastic for us, and a couple of seasons ago, seasons ago for City, he was probably the best player in the Premier League. I, I, it was unbelievable, twenty odd goals a season. But he has been poor for months and months and months and doesn't look at the races. So, you know, if I see him starting, I'm instantly thinking Southgate is just choosing that what he knows experience over that exciting talent and possibility. Put it this way. There is no way Foden can start on the bench. He's too good a football player. It's like it's like dropping Mbappe you know, or, or, or resting Sancho. I think both of them have to start. I think Foden is, you know, he's won me, you know, completely over it. At the beginning of the year and the end of last year, I was a little bit tempered by the fact that, like, I mean, he was, you know, doing these things, making these assists, scoring these goals in Man City's team. And, you know, let's be perfectly honest, I could probably get a few assists and goals in Man City's <laughs> team. And I haven't played football in years. And I wasn't even that good when I was in, you know, match shape. But, at the same point, yeah, he is he's proven this year and when he played Villa the other the other few games ago and they were down to ten men, he was still absolutely the best player on the field by a country mile. And yeah, he has to start. Will he? I don't think he will. I really oh, don't think he will. Um, he should, but he won't. I've 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 already got a headache thinking about it and I'm already scared. I'm still gonna be so pumped up for that game. I cannot wait. You know, it's two PM in the afternoon. I'm just, I can't wait to watch it, but I'm, I'm worried because I can see the squad now. I can see Walker and Cody in a back three. I can see Trippier playing on the right. I can see, you know, Shaw probably in there. I can see Rice, Calvin Phillips and Bellingham maybe. I don't know what he even does. Mm. Listen, I mean, what a squad though. <sighs> Could we win the Euros? So to make this a more positive thing, because I, I think we're both a little bit, like proper England fans belly aching about the squad. But yeah. I mean, this is one of the first times that we're talking about how guys, you know, could have made it because we've got so much depth, which is not usually the case because I remember watching, I think it was Steven Gerrard's cause it was his birthday the other day. There was some Twitter, like Steven Gerrard clips of goals for England. Yeah. And he was being congratulated by various players. And it was like, um, you know, it was like Peter Crouch and stuff like that. And I have to say, like, I mean, I like Crouch as a player, but, you know, he wouldn't get into this squad, I don't think. No, uh, no, he wouldn't and, be on the bench. Yeah, and, and I think that's the case. If you go back all these years, Kieran Dyer playing, was it 2006 or whatever it was, you know, these guys that were nowhere near um, the level of their other contemporaries on that team. Um and, you know, I don't think those guys wouldn't get anywhere near this squad. And I think that's it. I think we have, although it's a bizarre management of our thing and we had a problem with the goalkeepers as well. But I think this is the first time I've looked at a team and gone, that guy's quality, that guy's quality, that guy's quality. Not we need a body on the bench to, you know, clap occasionally or come on with five minutes left because he's six foot five or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, I think this is the first time I really look at and thinking we've got a cracking team. Uh, unbelievable team. And an unbelievable yeah. chance. I think Crouchy had a really good goal-scoring record for England, funny mm. enough. I think most of it was friendlies, to be honest. Uh, but this this is a forward line, okay? Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Calvert-Lewin, Foden, Grealish, Sancho, Saka, 
I, well, that is so much creativity, so many different players. Uh, I'll say with Calvert-Lewin, I think he has been chosen because he is the most Kane-esque. And that's a bad thing to say because he's not anywhere near the level. But they can rest Kane 20 minutes at the end of a match and they can do a like-for-like swap. And I think that's the only reason Ollie Watkins wasn't chosen ahead. I think the, the one thing to say is what we haven't talked about yet, just to kind of briefly shoehorn it in there as well, is you can actually actually change people from your squad up until the the minute you kick off, basically. So your first game. So in theory, if I don't know, for example, uh, Jordan Henderson comes on, uh, you know, onto the training field and obviously because he hasn't played in so long, takes a knock to the knee and is put back by two or three weeks and Gareth's like, oh, I, I can't play him, I can't risk him. For example, this is not entirely not wishing anything on the guy or anything like that, but that you could put bring in a replacement, Ward Prowse or whoever, or um, yes, we've got a, a thousand wingers and a thousand right backs. Let's, you know, maybe... Uh, one of those guys is picking up a knock. Let's bring back in Ollie Watkins or something like that. I think so that can happen, but um, that's where we are. So what was your actual question? I've completely focused on my little topic and actually what... The, no, what do you question? know what? I don't think there was a question. I think I was just... And this is good. There wasn't a question. I was just saying that Carvet Loon, I think he's like for like with the Kane. Mm. So it means he can keep the same formation. Mm. Drop him in. Say actually on that point, say Jordan Henderson is injured, okay? You've got Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham and... Calvin Phillips as the only three central midfield mm. players in the whole entire squad. Yeah, I mean, you can play Mason Mount, now, but he's too attacking to be that kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, like holding, holding slash centre mid kind of guy. He's more of a, a, an attacking centre midfielder. So yeah, we are really limited. And and that's the problem. And this is what, and we're both we're of a similar age, you and I. We're not going to tell the audience how old we are, but we are of a similar age. Um Remember David Beckham when he broke his metatarsal? We were like, yeah. oh my God, he has to get into the team. He has to come back. He has to play, blah, blah, blah. And he played and he had a really bad, average to awful tournament because he was A, still slightly injured and B, not match fit. And that's the problem. You have to be very sure, Gareth. I'm talking to you now, Gareth Southgate, that you are picking guys who are going to be able to perform. You can't, there can be no passengers in this squad because... You know, if we have a situation where Maguire isn't fit, we get to, you know, even if we got to the final and he doesn't play a game, that's a wasted spot. That could have been Godfrey or Concer or someone else, potentially. So, is it, you know, is you it have... a wasted spot, Si? What if, I mean, if Maguire having... doesn't play? I mean, yeah, then it does become a. His, having his personality, having his captaincy around the club, the reason he was on the bench for the Europa League final, Man United, no chance of playing, but just to be there around those young players. Is that not a good enough reason to have him in the squad? Can we not accept a position? I mean, that's a very good point. And maybe that's maybe where I kind of skew a little bit in terms of like, I don't appreciate leadership enough and I, and I do appre- I should more appreciate it more. But at the same extent is, if we then went into a tournament and what we have is, and I'm going to read you the names, Cody, uh, Mings, Cody, Stones and Kyle Walker as our four centre-backs. And yeah, Maguire doesn't play a minute of football in that tournament. Is that enough for you? It's not enough for me, especially if we play three centers. It's light. And and the more I think about it, the worse it gets taking Cody over concert. It's actually really strange. Wolves have been poor this season. But you're right. I think it's that 3-5-2 mentality. Pick players that fit the system, which means God knows where Trent's going to play in a 3-5-2. He plays in a good 4-4-2. And people mop up for him. 
but uh, I England are favourites, Simon. Yes, favourites five to one. Mm. That's what I'm looking at today. We're joint favourites with France. Unbelievable. Maybe that's because it's a home tournament. Are we in the same league? as France. So I think this sort of thing has to be taken with a pinch of salt. I think if we had looked at the odds before the groups were drawn, you would have found us down the table. So this is a little bit of a boost from the fact that France, Germany and Portugal are in the group of death. If, you know, because I think that's the other thing, we talked about the groups and they're very competitive, but there is an, a favourite in every group. And we were talking about possibly picking the winners from each group. I think we might find, unless you've gone and thrown a bit of a curveball, that our group winners are almost exactly the same, uh, apart from maybe in the group of death. Because, you know, there is a, one team in every group which is slightly better than the others, apart from this group. And I think that's it. I think England have gotten this boost from the fact that three of what would constitute the favorites in the tournament could you know could potentially be out the tournament yes there's an issue and there might be a crazy situation where the team that finishes third in their group wins the whole tournament because that can happen uh, because certain third place teams will get through um into the next round but yeah um i think that's it we've had a boost because of this and i think we would have probably been nestled somewhere like fourth favorites third favorites which is still great that's still a great chance to be third or fourth favorite going into the tournament is amazing for for the british lads uh, english lads i should say yeah we'll get into that actually because we listen we, we've picked apart the england squad there and i think the majority of england fans agree with us everyone's got their own different players they might play chelsea fans will want mount liverpool fans will want trent playing you know, but we know who the big boys are going to be playing, and, and we can probably guess it. And I think we've got a fantastic chance um, to do some do something exciting. But let's get stuck into the groups, okay? So, um, Group A: Turkey, Italy, Wales, Switzerland. Who's winning this? I think Italy are the favourites. I think they've got a good team. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, they've got some really good creativity. Uh, Mancini has got them playing in a certain way. They are, I think I read, and which is the craziest, and forgive me if I'm slightly off, they are undefeated in 35 months of football, which is incredible. Wow. So I think there's a little bit of stats padding in that because they've only played teams in the top 20 of the world rankings, something like four or five of them. So yes, there's probably a bit of padding in that, but that's a really good bit of form for Italy going into this tournament. So um, I think there are several other teams in that group that can make a run for it. I think Turkey are on a bad side. Um, I'm trying to think who else is in the group, so I'm filibustering for a second. Wales, uh, Wales definitely have no chance whatsoever. Um, sorry, <laughs> Wales. Switzerland are one of those teams that can squeak out a 1-0 win against anybody or draw 0-0 with anybody. Um, you know, So I think they, they are a team that could win the group, but I think Italy have to be favourites. I don't know what you feel. Yeah, no, I think Italy are favourites. I'm actually going to put Wales through second team there. So you were right about, you said, the top two go through. Uh, there's also four third-placed teams that go through as well, the best ones, whether that's goal difference, points, I guess, obviously, then goal difference, wins, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Wales uh, Wales got to the semi-finals hmm. four years ago. So yeah, I'm putting them through, second behind Italy. Uh, as my top two. And we'll speak about Wales and a surprise selection of two in a bit. Uh, Group B, Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. 
I think, once again, to be completely boring, I think Belgium are the favourites by far. Their team, as always, over the last few years, is stacked. They've got, um, you know, some of the best players in the world. The only slight worry for them is Kevin De Bruyne. So I don't know if you saw this, but he had a nasal fracture and a orbital bone fracture. Um, when I read that he had uh, two uh, two facial bone fractures, I was really worried. But nasal bone is, is not the most significant fracture you're going to get. Um, but I would say, um, yeah, he's a big loss for the team. He's almost certainly out of the first game. And we'll see for the second game if he's going to come back in with one of those those masks or something. It yeah. might be the way forward. Um, it could have been a lot worse for them. If it had been an unstable facial bone fracture, he probably wouldn't be playing until, you know, partway through next season uh, in the Premier League. Yeah, so. ab- absolutely. And I think he does not require surgery. So I think they have mm. got lucky and there's a chance he might be able to play. They do have other fantastic players, but I, I think Belgium without De Bruyne, uh, certainly don't win Euro 2020. Uh, Russia, I think they're one of the home nations as well, Russia. I think they play all of their group games at home. So actually, I think Russia will definitely go through in that group. Uh, Russia versus Belgium, I think, is the first game in that one as well. Now, Group C, Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria and North Macedonia. So I actually think, to be really boring again, I think the Netherlands have... If this was Football Manager, and this is kind of a uh, thing I go into a lot, I used to play a lot of Football Manager, um, they would have, <laughs> Netherlands would have wonder kid after wonder kid. If you look at their team, there are some special players coming through in that, in that, from that country. And I think they've got a great chance of, of you know, potentially being, you know, and, and actually are, and this is a little hot tip for later, this is my dark horse team. I think they have a good chance. It's a nice group to get out of. Um, and I think they've got a lot of good players a lot of young players and a lot of youth, and I think they could surprise a few of the the so-called bigger teams uh, down the line when they get there. And I think they will. Yeah, I, I think they've got some firepower as well. Memphis Depay is one of the best players in the world right now. He's absolutely mm. prolific. But without Van Dyke, I don't think they can win the tournament. That, that's me personally. Mm. Um, I think with Van Dyke, I think they'd be hard to beat, quite frankly. Uh, but. Netherlands, Netherlands are getting through that group. It'll be it'd be a huge shock if they don't make it through that group. I know Ukraine are a good, strong, solid side, and North Macedonia. I think they're going to be one of the the, the surprise packages of the tournament. I think they'll make it through, perhaps third place qualify, or maybe even second place behind Netherlands. Wow. They beat Germany, of course, only a couple of months ago. I'm excited to see what they do, and I, I'll always uh, support the underdog. Group D, Simon, England, Croatia, Scotland, Czech Republic. So um, I think it's obvious that Scotland win this group. No, I think I think this is <laughs> this is a, a harder group than you would think. And I think maybe if England and Scotland didn't have the rivalry that we, we do, maybe it, to another, say if it was Germany, for example, it wouldn't be as hard a group. But those Scottish lads are going to be so up for the game against England. I think it's going to be... It's going to be a battle. It's going to be tight. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges flying in everywhere. And if England aren't up for it, we could get a little bit of a surprise. Um, so, yeah, I think England have to be favourites for that group. But Croatia are not a, a walkover. Remember, finalists three years ago in the World Cup, um, a very experienced squad, uh, some players who are ageing but still good Um 
you know, I think uh, England should be favourites, but cautious favourites in that group. What about yourself? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo agree with that. I think Czech Republic are definitely not the team I remember back in the late 90s. Um, Croatia, I think they're aging a little bit too much. Scotland, oh, this is their first major tournament in 23 years. Mm. I don't think Scotland are going to pose a problem. They've got some good players in some good positions. Uh, but I know John Fleck has tested positive for COVID-19, so... Uh, he's he's not left the squad, but he's, of course he's he's isolating. Could uh, I'm going to just drop this in there? I maybe should have asked it at the end. But could COVID nineteen affect the tournament in that way? Do you think we could see some big profile players drop out? I think I think it's inevitable. I think there's going to be a situation. I think the only thing we can pray for, and we should pray for it anyway, because obviously we we don't want players to to get ill at all, but that the teams take this seriously. Um, I saw randomly, I don't know, I think it's probably because I picked up the Netherlands in the uh, the work sweepstakes that I'm so invested in the Netherlands. But um, oh. yeah, but um, they had six players who did not want to take the vaccine, which I mean, I mean to be fair to them is their own, their own view, especially because they're all younger lads and everything. So, it, you know, it is not necessarily recommended that you know, young people take the vaccine potentially in certain situations. It's a, it's a difficult kind of worms, that kind of that situation. But, you know, we have to have a situation if there are people who are unprotected, um, with no vaccine, uh, and obviously having all these players together, you're going to have to be very careful. And I think it's inevitable that a team will be affected. And I just hope it's not badly enough that, you know, a game is ruined. Or a game is called off, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, we hope the tournament can obviously go ahead, and I think I think it will. There'll be incredibly heavy uh, protocols in place for this, of course. Lots of blanket testing. Uh, you mentioned they're referring to Matthias Delict. I think he was one of the ones that had come yes. out, and then he'd rescinded the, the message the next day and said he's actually pro-vaccine. Uh, but exceptional defender, maybe not an exceptional season with Juventus, but nonetheless, uh, what a player. Netherlands, I'm hopeful for your sweepstakes. Mm. Uh, Group E, Spain, Sweden, Poland, Slovakia. So once again, I think there's one clear team who is better than all the others in that group, and it's Spain. Um, I think Poland are a decent team. I think they've got, I mean, if you've got Robert Lewandowski in your team, then anything can happen. I think they're a team, though, that flatters to deceive. And I've, you know, I've said, oh, yeah, I think Poland will do well in this tournament. And then they've lost every game by three goals. So it, Poland are a very strange team to necessarily bank on. But, you know, they've got some good players and some good positions and, you know, a nice steady depth as well. So they have a chance. But I think Spain are, are the number one, you know, in that group. I'm actually a little bit underwhelmed with the Spain squad, though. I don't know if you've seen it. I think... This isn't the Spain of, you know, five, six, ten years ago. I think this is a, 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 you know, a very youthful team, but a team that I don't think are the, you know, penciled in finalists that they've been in previous years. No, no chance, not anywhere near. Uh, I don't think so. You know, uh, that run they had where it was the World Cup, European Cup winners, they had so much depth, you know, David Villas, your Torres, Zabi, Iniesta, it was unbelievable. Mm. It was they had players overflowing depth, players that didn't even go who were who were still first for their, their club and country for their club rather. Uh, on on uh, on that group group E, yeah, I think I think obviously Spain are favourites, heavy favourites to win it. I don't think Sweden and Slovakia pose a threat. 
But Poland, and I do not say this lightly, I think Lewandowski is the best football player in the world right now. Ooh. I think best striker, best player is a it's a, it's a, a hot take. But he is so dangerous and he's proven that time in and time out. So I think, yeah, I think, like I said, I think Poland have a chance that they could go quite far. You know, even be that dark horse surprise team that, you know, makes a semi-final or something if if the cards fall right for them. But, I mean, you know, it, it, it's going to be against history in that regard because Poland have always really flattered to a deceive, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. When they come to the big stage and they, they sort of let down, I don't want to hang on Poland too much, but, man, if we came up against them in a quarter, I think it would not be the quarters... Uh, Lewandowski coming up against Cody and Walker at centre back. <laughs> I would be watching that behind a pint glass. Okay, so final group, the group of death. Um, Hungary, <laughs> poor, poor Hungary. Uh, Portugal, France, and Germany. What on earth did they do? I listen. That that group scares me. What hmm. on earth, Simon? So. I feel sorry for Hungary because Hungary, if you look at their team, <laughs> they've got some really good players. Their goalkeeper is one of the, the better goalies in Europe. Um, they've got, you know, some really good players in certain positions. But yeah, they've got no chance. You know, even if they put up a good fight, I can't see them finishing with more than a point. Maybe get a point off someone like Portugal who are prone to underplaying in the group stages of tournaments. Um, yeah, so they're definitely bottom, I'm afraid. Sorry, hungry fans, if there's any of you listening. Um, but yeah, the rest of the teams, I, it's a coin toss to me. I, I thought, oh, Portugal are the, definitely the weakest team. And then I look and they've got João Felix, they've got Ronaldo. You know, there is players overflowing from all of these teams. It's going to be a coin flip. I've gone for Germany as my winners, but it could be France just as easily. It could even be Portugal, because as I said, I think Portugal have got a lot more talent than necessarily we think. Um it's a coin flip. What about yourself? Who do you think? Who you uh, I think France is the best football team, in, uh, best team in world football. Uh, mm. I don't think there's any doubt there. And also France have just recalled Benzema after five years. And I talk about how good Lewandowski is. Benzema is another predatory striker. Uh, Griezmann was the golden boot best player 2016 when they narrowly lost the final to Portugal. Mbappe one of the world's best players, Pogba, not the Pogba that plays for Man United, who wouldn't get in anyone else's football team, but the Pogba who plays for France and previously Juventus. It's unbelievable. Raphael Varane. Oh, what a squad. I think there's no question that Portugal, France and Germany go through, Simon. Yeah. The, the, the third place, one of those teams will be in that, that third place qualifier. I think... The only way it doesn't is if something like Portugal do their occasional thing of just not turning up and, you know, maybe draw every game that they play or, or lose and draw a couple. I think it's the only way that a third place team in that group does not get through. And woe betide you if you are the unlucky bugger that wins your group and then has to play one of those three teams in the final. <laughs> you know, is it the last 16, I'm guessing? So, yeah, I... Uh, I'm a little bit worried it might end up being someone like us. I'm hoping we end up on the other side of the draw, but who knows so far? Yeah, you know, Germany's first two games are France and Portugal. I mean, what a way into the competition. Mm. I love Euro, for, you know, for the history, for, for what it is, the football, the Beckhams, the Gascoigns, the just incredible things we've seen over the years. 
But I love a neutral match more than anything. How about you, Sai? I think you you have to. I mean, it's not just a game, you know, just, you know, like between two average sides. I mean, you know, if you get a game with just, as I said, overflowing with quality players and, you know, good managers and everything. I mean, you can't help. I just love this is. This is my thing. I, I don't always watch other teams. I obviously watch my own team regularly. I don't always watch other teams. But when it comes to the World Cups or the Euros, I watch as many games as I can. You were talking about, you know, a, a pack of, um, of of beer on your shoulder as you're, you're walking down to the local, um, you know, to, to home to watch the game or whatever. This yeah. is totally me on these occasions uh, because... I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, switching the TV on and going, oh, it's North Macedonia versus someone. Oh, I'm still going to watch it. Um, yeah. You know, and there's actually a player in North Macedonia's team that I think is a bit of a breakout candidate as well. So look forward to talking that, about that a bit later as well. Yeah, we will get on to those players. Uh, before we do, though, we'll just talk about uh, those schedules. England versus Croatia, which is Sunday, June 13th at Wembley. The next match, Austria-North Macedonia, what a big game. Basically, whoever wins that could get themselves through to a knockout. And then it follows in the evening at the Johan Cruyff Arena, Netherlands versus Ukraine. What a great day of European football. Wonderful venues. Um, this tournament also goes to Hamden Park. It goes to the Pushkas Arena. It goes to uh, the Allianz Arena, the Olympic Stadium, Stadio Olimpica. There's just a brilliant array of stadiums, a brilliant array of teams. Um, now let's talk about some standout players, maybe less England because we've we've you know, kind of dissected them heavily. But Simon, uh, tell me you standout players. Tell me who we should be watching out for. So, I mean, the, believe me, as I said, I don't necessarily all watch European football all the time, so I don't know some of these players that intimately. But I've I've you know I've decided to research a little bit on this to see some alternative names so we've got all the big guns we've talked about ad nauseum you know Ronaldo uh, Lewandowski Harry Kane all these kind of guys that are in with chance of the golden boots and things like that but I've got some alternative names to look at on this is what I love this is what you know I, I you end up doing is you watch a game you you know you don't know half the team and then you you know you switch the you know watch the game from start to finish and there's some fantastic striker or winger or midfielder or defender and you just go oh my god he's really handy and then you probably find out he ends up transferring to the premier league or somewhere like that within a couple of years or whatever um so i was really looking forward to it so i've got a few guys i've decided to highlight some of them are more uh more kind of unknown and some are a little bit off the beaten cuff so i've gone for um obviously for us i think breakout candidates for us Foden or Grealish, definitely. I mean, uh, either or, depending on how they play, if they play both, it would be absolutely fantastic. I think it would work really well because Grealish can play quite wide. I think Foden isn't necessarily the ultimate wide man or anything. He plays a lot more centrally sometimes, but I think he can play a little bit more wide if needs be. And I think you just get all that creativity on the park and just with Harry Kane and his runs. And Harry Kane and his ability to make assists, I think it's just going to work really, really well. So if they play those guys, I think we're in for a great tournament in that regard. Yeah, and I'll echo that point. Uh, Foden, I think Foden could be the standout player of the tournament. He could be the Wayne Rooney of the 2004 tournament. You know, just that incredible energy, enthusiasm for the game. Uh, and let's not, without doubt, say that Harry Kane is unbelievable great chance of the the golden boot who else who else have you got so so yeah we talked we said we were going to talk about england i went straight to england anyway <laughs> um so i've got a guy called alexander isak he is the swedish striker 
Uh, six foot four, plays for Real Sociedad, scored 17 goals this year. Um, he has been dubbed the new Ibra. Now, we talked about this. No pressure. We talked about this the other week about how guys are just labeled as, oh, you're going to be the next Hazard. And they're like 14 years old and they never play a game. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he is who Sweden have kind of put a lot of their hopes and dreams on. He is, you know, he scores a decent number of goals in a, in a competitive league in La Liga, 21 years old. Is this his tournament? I think it could be. I, I wouldn't be surprised looking at their group as well for him to be, um, you know, two or three goals just in the group stage. And if they get through, maybe bang another couple in. And I think you could find he's in, you know, in, in kind of a very dark horse candidate for the Golden Boot. Yeah, I mean, their first game is uh, at Spain, away at Spain, uh, in the stadium in Sevilla. So he will he will know where he is. He'll know it well. Um, that would be a, that'd be some kind of statement if he did it against Spain in the opening mm. game or something. Yeah, but as I said, this isn't the Spain of old. I think there's a lot of overhaul in the Spain squad. So, I think if I was Sweden, I'd go out, go all out, go go for the throat a little bit because I don't think this is the Spain that we we remember. And if you're going to beat them, I think you go for it. I think if you play into their hands and you just put ten men behind the ball the whole game and allow them to play their little tiki taka kind of football, then they'll beat you. They'll beat you two or three nil. If you go for it, you play a little bit more direct, you know, use a six foot four striker that you've got, I think they could definitely pose a problem against Spain. Um, no Ramos. Yes, no Ramos, which goes to show this is definitely a tournament where um, they are, you know, potentially transitioning to the new blood. And you can see it yeah. throughout a lot of the teams being picked, including England, that a lot of the older guys are being, you know, not pick necessarily and younger guys even guys who have very limited experience um you know are being picked so i've got another one for you this is not such a, a big um surprise his name's ryan graven birch i believe birch back I, I apologize for the pronunciation he is ajax's new wonder sensation in center midfield he's taken over from de Jong and van der beek um is it van der beek van der or whatever his name yeah. is yeah 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 it is, yeah. I'm just thinking of Jason van der Beek from Dawson's Creek. Um, <laughs> it's a different thing altogether. Yeah. That's the first time we've ever put Dawson's Creek into the podcast. Yeah. And I don't even watch Dawson's Creek. I'm honest. I'm, I'm <laughs> scout's honor. Um, so, um, but yeah, he is the new sensation at Ajax. He is uh, he's a little bit bigger than those other two uh, players I mentioned. I mean, he's about 6'2". Um, he's only 17, 18 years old as well. But he is the one that they're putting all their pre their hopes and dreams on. And Ajax had a really good domestic um, double this year, I believe. Yeah, we played him. Liverpool played mm. him. And wow, was I impressed. And the talk was about this man, uh, Gravenbach. Gravenbach, you're absolutely right. I'm not too sure how to pronounce his name. Wow. Are we going to see him play? Every time we talk about these, these not young players, Netherlands get... Better and better and better. Are they playing uh, Delict alongside um, uh, the, for the lad who signed for City? Um, I don't know. I think Botman might play for them, actually. He was at uh, Lille, I believe. Sven Botman? I think he might be there uh, starting. Okay. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, until the first game lines up, I don't, I don't really know enough slash what the manager's thinking until he puts out the team. I think there's a few injuries. I think uh, Daley Blind's injured. I think he's. I mean, he's still going. Man United fans. He he didn't retire when he left you. He is still playing, and he is still making Dutch teams. So um, he's still there. 
but yeah, I think ultimately, if you look through that Dutch team, there are probably 10 guys who are young, you know, fantastic players um, that are going to make an impact in the next, within Europe in the next few years. And if so, this Dutch team could be magnificent. This could be back to the Dutch team of old. I think they had a big lull playing Dirk Coit and various others. No offense, Liverpool fans. Sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of, uh, you know, an, an aging Arwen Robin and stuff like that. Um, but now I think they're potentially back to to a new blood. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Well, their first game's on the evening of the England-Croatia game and uh, at the Johan Cruyff Arena, so no pressure there, Netherlands. So I've got one more player for you, and I have no idea how to pronounce his first name, so I'm just going to say his surname, Elmas. He plays for um, North Macedonia. He is a Napoli uh, midfielder. Um, He scored in his last three games for North Macedonia, I think including against Germany. Um, So he's in good form. He plays regularly for Napoli. I think, you know, he's only 20, 21 himself. I think, you know, a team like that, you lean on your best players. This is his time to shine. So I think he could be in for a good tournament as well. And if he does, then I will try to say his first name. This is a this is the great thing with international games. There's going to be a standout player uh, on top of the players that we know will do well, the Mbappes, Canes, Ronaldo's, etc. But there's going to be a standout player, whether it's grabbing back Elmas or Isaac. It could be someone else we've never seen. It could be um, someone like a Saka coming off the bench and grabbing a winner in a in a quarterfinal. Like we don't know, and it, it's such a, a privilege watching a tournament where you know so many different things can happen. Hmm. Uh, I know four years ago, it's five years ago now, but the two thousand six tournament, Wales made it to a semi finals against Portugal. Uh, can they make it out of Group A? And they've got a kind of surprise uh, inclusion side. I love your segues as well. You think that Dan's the only guy? I love it. That was a fantastic segue. So I'm just trying to find on my notes where this guy is. Um, But yeah, Wales had a big shock in their team. Um, I bet Wales fans, when they hear this, are going to get annoyed because it's not just about this one player and, you know, you're going to have youth. But his name is, and I quote, um, Ruben Colwell. He is a... uh, 19-year-old under-23 player for Cardiff who has played a grand total of about 190 to 195 minutes of first-team football, period. So he has no experience whatsoever, and he has made the final squad for Wales. Now, yes, you have to bring in players you think are going to be good down the road, but is that not a little bit of a worry if you're a Welsh, uh, a Welsh, you know, a Welsh fan? They have one striker in their team as well, Keith Moore. Kiefer Moore, uh, sorry, um, that's the only striker they've got. So rather than yeah. bringing an attacking midfielder who's played less first team football than, than you know, some school projects or whatever, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's a worry that you know that's what you've got. And I don't echo what you say about Wales. I think I had them in my little subgroup called teams with no chance, along with North Macedonia and Hungary. I think Wales finished bottom of their group, and I think they finished bottom of their group by quite a while away, way quite a while, by quite a way. And also, there's talk of of Gareth Bale retiring after this tournament. Is that what you want to hear? 
is he not taking a, a switch to professional golf finally? Yeah, they yeah. Uh, on the striker there. They did decide not to take um, Robson uh, Carnu, um, which I probably agree with. He scored like one goal in fifteen years. No, I mean he, he was obviously brilliant, but he's he's not very fit. I know he did score against us, funnily enough, this uh, last month. But they've got people like Joe Allen. I mean, Joe Allen's an okay player, but Aaron Ramsey, Harry Wilson. Gary ba- uh, Gareth Gary Gareth Bale, Gary Barlow, uh, do from Chelsea. Uh, they've got, they've actually got some really decent football players that can change a game. So, I I think they're going to beat Switzerland and Turkey to the second spot in that Italy group. I think if you if you're right, then you are a seer because I can't see it at all. Aaron Ramsey has had a horrible year in Ju- at Juventus. They're basically begging someone to take them off his hand he is earning not earning his money at all he's had a horrible season i don't think he's fit um yeah and a lot of some of these guys you've mentioned are are players with names like joe allen uh used to play for liverpool what 10 years ago um <laughs> you know uh it, it's a, a worry i think if you're a welsh fan i, I think you have to worry and I, maybe that's why they've put in reuben colwell because they don't have this new shining hope coming through and there is a mix of these aging old names um and and little else so i'm a little bit worried for wales i think this might be the final time they make a tournament for a little while until we see you know a new day for them in in the future i just i feel like there's there's a lot of stuff coming through where that this is very little optimism in my opinion yeah, maybe this Ruben Cole will be a bit like the Theo Walcott under Svengor and Eriksson when he was taken at kind of 17 years old, a little bit ahead of maybe uh, his time or he should have been uh, taken to the squad. But these are all the narratives and the stories that are going to play out over the two weeks. Uh, and I absolutely cannot wait to see them. Uh, I know with Wales, you know, their manager belongs in jail, so they're kind of coming into the tournament with a lot of... Um, uh, for raw it's it's not it's not brilliant um uh uh practice for the tournament it's not a good start and and uh maybe wales will be uh, cannon fodder along with hungary and macedonia who is winning the tournament the tournament is being won i don't know this is a good question this is a very good question so i'm going to leap through because I think, and this is what I love about the Euros, is there's so many teams that could win this. Um, obviously, we don't know who's making out of the group of death. Um, I'm filibustering, by the way. Uh, we don't know, uh, you know, what England team turns up. I think England have a decent chance. They're not favourites, in my opinion. Belgium, it really depends on Kevin De Bruyne. And to be honest, I'm not a big fan. I have to say this. I'm going to say this. Roberto Martinez, decent manager. Not a good manager, in my opinion. I don't think. I think with that okay. Belgium team, has he? Has he? You know, has he uh, met the ambitions of that Belgium team? I don't think so. And I, he's never really done it club-wise. I think he had a couple of successful seasons, you know, around and about. But he's been relegated several times. He's he's not a guy I think is a particularly great manager. I I think it might, might inhibit um, Belgium a little bit, really. So. Yeah, that's the problem with them. I mean, obviously I'll, I'll my, my, my Netherlands I, uh, team, I you know, obviously I'll, a big fan of the Netherlands. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you where I am before we talk about how good Netherlands are. I'll talk about how good England are. We're going to win the tournament. The reason I think this is okay is because the Wembley Stadium is hosting the semis and the final. Okay, so all we need to do is scrape through to that semi-final. Scrape through and then just get caught up in it. Get caught up in the drama. Get caught up in the last minute um, goals. Get caught up in the possible penalties. I just, yeah, and apparently uh, Henderson has saved nine of the 18 penalties faced in his professional career. Henderson's apparently one of the best penalty takers, uh, sorry, penalty stoppers in the league. So could that push him into number one? And yet David De Gea still started the shootout (laughs) in the Europa League final. But that's something that we'll probably talk about again, because this is a Euro 2020 show. This is a recap on last week. Oh, yeah, by the way, Chelsea won the Champions League. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to recap yeah. on Villarreal beating Manchester United, but this is entirely Euros starting Friday, mm. June 11th, 2021. Yeah, we're putting a timestamp on this. This isn't being recorded six months ago or anything like that. So, um, But, yeah, I think England have a chance. I really, I really want us to do well. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel like an England fan if I didn't go into it with dread. And then as soon as we scrape a 2-1 win against Croatia, I think we're going to win the tournament and be playing It's Coming Home um, every single day and making my son dance with me to it. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be music, there's going to be furore around, it's going to be so much excitement. I think France are the team to beat, but mm. uh, I think England genuinely might win the Euros. Imagine if they did win the Euros. Can you imagine this country? Whoever wins the Euros deserves it this year. And the reason I say that is because the whole of the continent has been struggling heavily with heavily with this COVID pandemic. So, you know, England, we've had heavy amounts of deaths, so we won't go into those kind of details, but... I think everyone, whoever wins this, deserves it. And it's going to be such a celebration of football and life and, you know, the beautiful game and everything surrounding it. Uh, I can't wait to see fans in the stadiums. Have you got any other exciting tidbits for the coming up? Well, I'd like to say, first and foremost as well, like it would be nice if it was a team that was not an unexpected team. I'm not expecting my, you know, after I slaughtered them Wales to go on and win it or anything, but it would be nice if it was a team that didn't necessarily want to kind of go with what you were saying. If it ends up being France again, or, um, you know, or Germany or even Spain, you know, teams that have had success over the last 10, 15 years. Are we really, I, I, I just, for me, I, I just think, Oh, I think if it'd be great, it'd be a team like us, like Belgium, like Holland, you know, the Netherlands, someone a little bit more like that would just mean so much for those countries. And I think that would be awesome if it could be one of those countries rather than necessarily the teams that seem to always be there or thereabouts. So um, I'd like to kind of ask you a, qu- a question on one thing about England. Just last thing on England. Um, is this a step back if we don't at least get to the semifinals? Yes. Absolutely. And I'll elaborate because we've got the better players uh, than I think we've seen for many years. Uh, Maybe even better than the uh, Gerard Scholes Lampard uh, disaster, is what we should say, because we had the best players then as well. And we didn't make it happen. There is a, a sort of caveat there, though, that if we didn't make the semis now, but took this exact same squad 
next year to the World Cup, then suddenly this squad's played together. That could actually be our best chance. But let's just go and win it. We're the home nation. We're playing the games at Wembley. We've got fans in the stadium. We've got players coming out of Champions League finals. We've got some of the best young talent in the world. And we've got we've got a solid core. We've got a solid centre-back. Declan Rice is fantastic. I really rate him. Let's go win it. Just go do the yeah. job. Southgate, give the players wear your waistcoat with pride this summer. Uh, and I can't wait to see this country get behind the... Uh, the tournament, and I'm sure our counterparts, our other podcast counterparts in other places in Europe are saying the same about their country. I just can't wait, Sai. I absolutely yeah. can't wait. No, I'm I'm so excited about it. I love these tournaments. I love the fact that we've got one next year as well. I, I don't think the players are overly happy about it, but for me as a fan to have the summer, you know, watching football, watching the some of the best players in the world, definitely the best players in Europe, um, you know, duke it out for the chance to win. It's just a very exciting experience, and I'm all for it. I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm just really, really excited. I just love finding out about new players, and you know, pretending they'll go to Aston Villa, and then none of them coming. You know, it's just the way it is. And you know, I just want to ask you as well, just before we kind of wrap this up, because I kind of feel like we're meandering towards a conclusion in the near future. What games are you looking forward to? What are they, if there's any okay, so- two or three? Yeah, so my my initial excitement is um, is the opener Turkey Italy uh, June eleventh in the evening, uh, the first match England Croatia on Sunday, uh, Sunday week. I'm very very much looking forward to it. And the game we mentioned there, uh, the first game in Group F, which is France Germany. What a group stage game! France versus Germany, two European powerhouses. Uh, Arguably the best team in the world, France versus Germany, who I believe this is Joachim Lowe's last tournament in at the yes. helm. Definitely. He's been there for what seems all of my life, uh, and he's done a very good job at parts. So I think oh, that could be all sorts. I mean, probably going to be a nil-nil dead rubber, but <laughs> can't wait. How about you? I have to say I echo a lot of um, of what, what you've said. I think England's first game... The semi-final rematch um, are a chance to get revenge against Croatia. Looking forward to it immensely. Yes, I think the first game itself is just going to be exciting. I don't necessarily excited about the teams necessarily, but just watching the first game is always just an absolute pleasure. And then going, oh, there's no games until tomorrow. And then realizing you've got three games each day on the weekend. This is going to be awesome. Um, yes, I actually put... Uh, for my other one of my other suggestions was France versus Germany versus Portugal. So all of those games, whoever's playing whoever in that stages is going to be exciting. And one of those teams, you know, those matches are going to keep going throughout that uh, throughout the group. So that's an exciting thing to think about. And finally, and we mentioned it a bit earlier, England versus Scotland. Just really wow. excited about England versus Scotland. That's going to be an absolute. You know, that's that's Euro '96 kind of uh, energy <laughs> right there. So are we going to see Gascoigne over Hendry, the flick over Hendry, yeah. and into the far corner. That's on a Friday evening at eight o'clock. That game. I mean, can you imagine the drama? Yeah, I am just so excited. I just hope England turn up because that Scotland team is going to be up for it. And I think if we go into it thinking we're going to win, that's when you come out with a one-all draw, and we have to win on the last day to stay in the tournament. Um, and I really don't want that for us. 
Yeah, and and uh, there's a there's a chance that always happens. Uh, now, well, let's wrap this show up because this has been a brilliant meaty middle without our segue king Dan. <laughs> Any final words, Si? Um, so just for anyone who's maybe tuned into this today's podcast and kind of gone, oh, where's the other sport? You know, other sports and stuff. Yeah, that will be happening again as normal next week. Um, but you know, if you're not a football fan the Euros is as a deaf and an awesome way to get involved in football. If you're an American, because we seem to have quite a few Americans that watch this, to listen we to do. this podcast. Um, you know, if you want, tune in whatever way, I'm sure it will be on NBC or, or wherever, tune in because, you know, the, the feel, the excitement, fans back in the stadium, you know, great players playing football, just an exciting time. So, yeah, please watch um and just you know let us know let us know who you think is the best team let us know if we've you know if we've upset you with any of our hot takes on players or um you know if you think that maybe wales will win the whole tournament and you can tell me to uh you know go fuck myself so whatever you really fancy go for it um yeah just just watch watch if you can yeah, and get involved in the conversation. I actually sounded exactly like Dan there, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, Wednesday pod, get hold of us on Twitter. The last Wednesday of the week, there's loads of conversation this last couple of weeks on Twitter. We will return next week to the multi-tool podcast that we usually are. Now, I would like to play us out with Three Lions, but I appreciate with them, oh, the Dean and Skinner, a lot of money. So we'll do our normal show. All it's that to say is thank you for listening from last Wednesday of the week. I've been Ben. I've been Simon. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be good. Ciao, Bella. <laughs>